Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord, as we uh, celebrate Christmas, Lord, as it is upon us. Lord, we pray um, that as we revisit the story of the birth of Christ, Father, I pray that you would help the story to come alive to us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a fresh way, that we would uh, truly understand the significance of of, um, Christ's coming. Father, that it wouldn't just be the same old story um, that we've grown accustomed to. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see uh, the great theological implications and impact, Lord, that you have in our lives uh, through the coming of Christ. Uh, Father, we ask that as we look at the story and uh, look at a few passages of Scripture, Lord, concerning Christ, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would minister to our souls, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Father, we do thank you again for this story. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand clearly um, who Christ is and what he has done on our behalf and what we have in him. Lord, again, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would minister to our souls, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. So this is a really familiar story. Um, this is something that we revisit at least once a year. You know, every 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 Christmas, it, it seems to be one of these things like Easter that we're like, okay, well, culturally, we're going to just go ahead and, and address um, Christmas, the birth of Christ. Um, I think that this is one of those stories for me, before I became a Christian, it was super easy um, to sort of lump the story of Jesus with all of the other fairy tales, like the, you know, the, the tooth fairy, uh, Santa Claus, the Easter bunny, all of these things. And the story of the birth of Christ is so extraordinary that it just sort of made sense to me just to sort of lump it into these other, uh, with the other sort of fairy tales, um, because it didn't seem to fit rationally, um, and and as I grew up, I started really enjoying, sort of like, I've always enjoyed Christmas. I mean, there's 
there's Christmas trees and there's gifts and there's Christmas carols and there's hot chocolate and and it's a time where everything sort of slows down and you can you spend time with friends and family, things that are all very um, meaningful. Um, I I know that through this season in, in the past. I was always sort of drawn to a Christmas Eve service, um, it, regardless of where I was in the world or what was going on in my life spiritually. There was something about a Christmas Eve service that always sort of there was something deep within me that sort of like I was pulled to it. So I'm very excited and thankful for the worship, not the worship, the the whatever the Christmas choir. Um, Miss Anne is very. Uh, you can tell I hang out with my kids. She's Miss Anne and. And she's very gifted um, musically. And knowing how gifted she is musically, we also see what a patient, patient person she is uh, to, to deal with what she deals with. And, and, um, and so they've worked really hard, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But even more so, I know that there are people who Christmas Eve show up for a Christmas Eve service not even knowing what they're longing for, and they're longing for Christ. And so it's an opportunity, um, one, for the gospel to go out for those who don't know Christ. And, and on the second thing of it, like, I'm a Christian, but I just, I love sort of like the tradition of Christmas Eve service and, and coming and, and just uh, giving thanks to God for sending his son. Um, but there are deep, deep implications about the coming of Christ and who he is and and how he um, is distinct from from all other religions. Um, I remember early in my Christian life, it was about 1999. I had become a Christian. I'd been a Christian for a few years at this point, and I found myself in a conversation. I remember I was on deployment. We, we, we had to, it was really rough. We had to stop in Hawaii for five weeks and just sort of hang out and then we were going to catch up with the ship later. And I remember I was sort of over by the Arizona, the USS Arizona Memorial. There's a, a spot we were all just kind of hanging out. And I remember I was in a conversation with one of my officers who is a, a, a good man. Um, I would lump him into the Christian category. And we were sort of talking about spiritual things. But at the end of the conversation, he'd sort of said something that I remember it really struck me at the time. And he said, you know, if when I examine all of the religions, and he's saying this sort of from a Christian perspective, even though I think that he was wrong in saying it, um, he said, well, at the core of all religions, it's really the same message. It's, it's all the same, and the, the differences are sort of in the peripheral. It, it's the, they're not the main things. At the core of all religion, it's the same. Um, and it just didn't strike me as sitting right. It, from, from what I... What I knew about various religions, it just, it didn't seem to make sense what he was saying, but he was my officer and I wasn't in a position um, to to really go into a debate mode with him, nor was I really mature enough in my faith to be able to articulate what I, what I, what I felt in my soul. But I knew at that point sort of, you know, but that Hinduism and Buddhism, their belief is that sort of we're sort of playing out life many, many times over, and and you're reincarnated until you sort of get it right, and then when you get it right, you're basically absorbed into like nothingness, 
or the state of nirvana, which is essentially like, and I'm like, well, that's not what the Bible says. Like, that's a, that's a major distinction. And when we look at um, Islam and, and, and Mormon's doctrine, like, the, like, at the core of what Christ is and what all religions say, there is the, the, the disagreements are in the core issues, not in the, the peripheral issues. Um, and so when we... When we come to this text, when we look at sort of the birth of Christ, um, we have to understand that Jesus is coming. His his incarnation, I'll probably say it a couple times, is I much re- I, I I refer to call I prefer to call the birth of Christ to refer to it as the incarnation. I really sort of it rubs me the wrong way when we start going, hey, it's it's Jesus's birthday. Let's have a birthday party because that's. <laughs> Jesus didn't come into existence at his birth. Uh, it's not just a birthday. It, it's he was God and he became a man. That's the incarnation that, that God is with us. There is something very different from Jesus than all of the other religions. Um, and so as I've thought about this story, I, there's a few passages. Um, a couple of months ago, for those of you that know Karen Ramelli, Karen has been sort of in Bible college and or seminary, I guess is what she's in. And she came up to me and she's like, Gunner, prepositions are a big deal. I'm like, yeah, prepositions are you're clearly in seminary because they're focusing on the little the little you know, nitpicking every little thing. And prepositions are a very big deal. And so looking at this week, I want to look at four prepositions. And my goal hopefully this week, is that we will have these four prepositions sort of stuck in our mind as we consider the birth of Christ. Um, I'm sort of in backwards order. I would probably switch Matthew and Hebrews up there. But the first preposition we're going to look at is two. So if you would go to Hebrews chapter one, this is really the starting point. As I consider the the birth of Christ, Hebrews is one of these books. I know it's in there. It can be kind of difficult to find. If you've hit Peter, you've gone too far. It's sort of towards back after Timothy, after Philemon. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we read, God, after he spoke long ago to, to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us, in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Now, in verse 2, there's a phrase here that I want us to sort of, this is the first preposition that I want us to get sort of stuck in our brain. Um, it says, in these last days, he, you can insert, has spoken to us. Um, this is a huge thing. Um, God has spoken to us in his son. And so as we come to to Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Christ or the incarnation of Christ, his coming, um, we're told that God has des- has decided to communicate something to us in his son. And as we look at the whole picture of God communicating us distinct from other religions, we are created beings. We are, in addition to being created, we've also stumbled into the whole uh, sinfulness of man, which clouds our our ability to, to, to think and evaluate sort of clearly or, or biblically. If left on our own accord as we navigate this life, it is not in our aptitude of our own nature to be able to 
um, define God or to understand who God is. We are created beings. And so anything that we know about God, it's because God, who is separate from his creation, who is self-knowing, who knows all things, he has decided to reveal himself to his creation, um, that, that he has decided to speak to us through his son. So when we hear people, and I hear it all the time, uh, especially like non-believers that, you know, discussion at your workplace or your peers, you'll hear things like, well, I think this about God, or I believe this, sort of that, uh, that, that we as individuals just sort of uh, create our own gods, and we piece together who we think God is, ultimately sort of placing ourselves in God's shoes and dictating who he is. But we, but we who know Christ, who have come to the scriptures, we see that the scriptures reveal that God has revealed himself to us. Um, n- namely, that as we look at the birth of Christ, this, he has spoken to us in his son, and so this picture, I'm looking at this whole nativity scene. Nativity scenes are beautiful. And we look at the little, you know, I think that we all like babies to start with. And then we imagine the little baby Jesus. Oh, so cute. And, you know, there's nothing quite like that smell of baby, like the newborn baby. And we get all like, oh, it's just so beautiful. But then to think, to look at that picture of little baby Christ in, in the manger, to think that that's that image of him, who he is, that's God deciding to speak to us, to reveal to us certain things. And so this is huge. This is really the greatest Christmas gift, that God would decide to reveal himself to us, that we could come to know God. Um, as I ponder the birth of Christ this year, I think more than any other year, as I look at his revelation and what he's given to us in the word of God, I'm finding myself in this sort of state for this deeper longing or yearning to to know him more intimately to to really to spend more time in the world word not for you know any sort of like i don't want to say legalistic but it's a time of year i'm cautious because every you know it seems like every january there's a whole group of people we're going to read the bible through this year and so i want to avoid doing that or, or placing myself into that sort of commitment but, but there's this sort of this longing in my heart that if god has chosen to speak to us through his son. And we know that the the, the son is known as the logos, the word. There's this craving, and this is just me, like that I'm craving to spend more time with him uh, in his word that he has chosen to reveal to us, that we could know him intimately, that we could have this relationship, that we could find this place of satisfaction and contentment in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. So God has spoken to us. Now you can go back to Matthew chapter 1. And as we look at the birth of, this, of Christ, uh, the, you know, the Christmas story, we have this story because God has decided to reveal it to us, to show us, to speak to us through his son. And as we navigate this story, beginning in verse 18, Matthew, which has started out with his genealogy, um, from the Jewish perspective, showing how Christ fulfills his role as king, as Messiah, how both sides of the coin, uh, both legally through Joseph, um, I mean, yeah, legally through Joseph and through Mary, like how the whole DNA, everything comes together that he uh, has the qualifications to be the Messiah. 
And we read, now the birth of Jesus was as follows, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So this is the, the, they're a young couple. Um, they're betrothed, they're engaged. Engagement during um, their time was very different than our time. In our culture, you can be engaged to somebody, but the level of commitment and engagement is just not the same. Um, you, you know, now in our culture, it's like you're married when you're married. You can be engaged for as long as you want, but that doesn't mean anything until, you know, the actual, the ring goes on the figure, finger, you make your vows, that's when the commitment starts. But during their time to be betrothed, that was essentially the first step in the legal binding of the relationship. And there was a, a season that could go on, but to get out of engagement would be the same as having to go through a divorce. And so we know that Mary and Joseph they're engaged. There's excitement when two people are about to get married. This is just a, a, a tremendous season in a couple's life. And it says, before they came together, before their marriage was consummated, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And talk about a sort of a, a wrecking ball through the whole um, relationship. You know, in the whole story, Mary's really the only one that, that truly, 100%, absolutely knows that she was a virgin and that she conceived. Jo- Joseph, he would have a lot of things said about him. He had the appearing of the angel, which we'll see. He had affirmation, but intellectually, the virgin birth just, you know, as a man, I would have a very hard time, sort of, because it's just not, ra- it's not, it, it, it defies rationalism. There's a story about C.S. Lewis that I find hilarious. So there's a story about C.S. Lewis that one day C.S. Lewis was sitting in his office in the English department when a friend who was an unbeliever wandered in. There were carolers below the courtyard singing Christmas carols, and the two were speaking. They could hear them singing a Christmas carol that contained the words about Jesus' virgin birth. His unbelieving friend said to C.S. Lewis, isn't it good that we now know better than they did? C.S. Lewis said, what do you mean? The friend replied, well, isn't it good that we now know more than they did? I'm afraid you will have to explain, said Lewis. Well, isn't it good that we now know that virgins don't have babies? C.S. Lewis looked at him incredulously and said, don't you think they knew that? That's, <laughs> that's the whole point. The, the, the gospel, the accounts of the gospel, that this, the, the virgin birth is this heavy beam of wood that's stuck there that we can't lift out of the way. Liberal scholars will try to sort of to remove this beam and say it's not there, but the the, the virgin birth, as we'll see in this passage, is he's going to quote from Isaiah 700 years prior to the birth of Christ, that the virgin birth is weaved into the fabric of the gospel through it. We, we cannot get to the gospel without this kind of dealing with this miracle. Do I want to continue here? So verse 19 says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. She knew that she was going to conceive this way. She then conceived. She understood that she wasn't with any man. She knew that what the angel told her came true. 
She's now pregnant. Now Joseph here doesn't get the news. He just knows that Mary's pregnant. He's a righteous man. So to marry a woman that's got pregnant out of, like out of wedlock and it's not his child, he still wanted to honor her and do the right thing. So we're told that he was going to sort of send her away, take her away somewhere uh, privately or secretly because he didn't want to disgrace her. And so as he comes up with his plan on how to deal with the situation, but he's not going to marry her because this, this isn't the kind of relationship that he's going to enter into. We're told that but when he had considered this, behold, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He will save his people from their sins. So Joseph gets some assurance. Mary, I think, is the only one who has absolute, 100%, she knows that she wasn't with anybody. Joseph now has the assurance of an angel, but still there's enough doubt, I think, that probably would come over the year. There's no evidence in the scripture, but still God reveals something, you can hear it, you can believe it, but then wander away and go, man, am I a fool? Am I, like, like his, go entering into this relationship, but we're told that this child is now, 100% human through Mary, but also conceived of the Spirit, so uh, he's fully God. And and so somewhere in, in history past, the triune God in heaven, as they look at the fall of man, suddenly come up with this plan to to redeem their creation of humanity. Let's send the Son to earth. And so as we look at the crib, as we look at this young baby Jesus in the crib, there is God sitting in a crib. I forget which songs there are. I know uh, Don had posted in the, the worship team's Facebook page something about misconceptions about Christmas carols. But one of them is that, you know, Jesus as a baby was just the perfect baby. Probably didn't cry, didn't make any noise, didn't cause any trouble because he's God. But see, he's also fully man. And I, and I think about this wonderful, like this, this, this picture that God now is a baby who before, it's not like God needs to eat, but now he needs to eat. But he can't communicate to his own creation. So what do babies do? They, they scream. Like what? Humility. To be God, and now you're like screaming to this woman that you created to feed you. And then you got to go through the whole issue of going to the bathroom. I mean, this is, Jesus was a baby. And I wonder about Mary just thinking about the life of Christ and his, his childhood. I believe it's the end of Luke 2 that it said that, that he was maturing in stature and wisdom. That as Jesus grew from infant to like, you know, to teenage years, that he went through puberty, he went through growing pains, he went through learning the various tasks, learning how to go to the bathroom. I don't, I mean, I have the diaper thing, but the next thing is like you, maybe it's because I have a three-year-old in my house that's going through the potty training phase. It wasn't like Jesus just was like potty trained at, at, at creation, or not at creation, that's probably about at birth. 
Like he went through this process of in his humanity. And I think of the scene at 12 years old when he's standing in the temple. And the temple at Jerusalem is huge. That they're there for this, this one of the greatest, largest festivals. And, and they're all making their way out as a community. And they discover, well, where's Jesus? And so they go back. They wander uh, to back to the temple. They see young 12-year-old Jesus basically debating and destroying the leading religious scholars of the day. I mean, this is like a 12-year-old suddenly walking into the greatest of seminaries and starting to dispute with all of the scholars, and he's destroying them. And I just see, like, Mary. There's times when Jesus just seems like a, a normal young boy. But then there are other times like this, and it's like, God. Like, what did she go through as a mother? Like, how do you, like, and we're told here in Matthew that as Joseph's being um, maybe encouraged, uh, his fears are being settled. He says that this Jesus, you'll name him Jesus because he is going to save people from their sins. And he goes on to say in verse 22 that this angel then is going to quote from Isaiah Isaiah 7, 14, this, uh, this great prophecy spoken over 700 years prior to the incident that Joseph stood with this angel. And the angel says, now, or Matthew says, now all of this was spoken to fulfill, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. And we're told that Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and she called his name Jesus. So the second preposition, the first preposition is that God spoke to us. We now see in this uh, verse 23, the name Emmanuel, which we sing at Christmas time that we reflect upon at Christmas time, It means God, I know what it means, but I just want to say it the right way, God with us. And so the whole idea with this preposition, so God has spoken to us, now God is with us. That the scriptures hold that the the Messiah, that God has come in the flesh as this baby. And this baby in the crib is now, the, the creator is with us. And as radical as his coming is, his departure would be the same if you... If you follow Matthew all the way or, or near the end as he leaves, what happens? The disciples are staring up in the sky going, what just happened? He ascends into heaven. And the, the angels say, what? What are you looking at? He's going to return the same way that he left. And so we're left with this, this picture of his coming in this miraculous way, his departing in this miraculous way, and that he's going to return in the same sort of miraculous way that he left. But this whole picture, this whole idea that God is with us, that carries all the way through the theme of Matthew. If you're up for it, go to the very last chapter of Matthew. The very last couple of words in the Gospel of Matthew are this. I am what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, you went all the way there just to read that. Now, you can go back where you can hold your place because we're, we're actually going to go over to Romans. 
But so this picture that God has spoken to us, and then in his son at the incarnation of Christ, that the picture is that God is with us. In his birth, we're told that he's with us. All through his life, it's, it's the, the picture that he's with us. At the end of his life, as he's leaving, the very last words of Matthew that he tells us, he affirms to his, his children, don't worry, I am with you to the end of the age, that we have this hope that God is with us. And as we head over to Romans chapter 8, my aim is to help you to remember these four, these four prepositions, to, with, and now for. So God has spoken to us in Christ. God is with us in Christ. And now God is for us in Christ. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now, it doesn't say, now, if the question was phrased, who is against us? We could answer that question with a whole lot of who are against us. Uh, death is against us. Uh, terrorists are against us. Uh, your family members can be against you. Your neighbors can be against you. Uh, the, the, every car on the freeway can be against you. Like there's, We could spend all day thinking of the things that are against us. But it doesn't say who is against us. There's the picture beforehand or the phrase beforehand, if God is for us, and that if can be translated since, since God is with us, who can be against us? This is a, a wonderful picture that God says, not only did I speak to you, not only am I with you, but I'm also for you. That you have this advocate, you have God in Christ saying, I am for you. Have you ever had the power of somebody saying that I'm for you? I believe in you. I'm standing with you. I have a terrible illustration from last week, but it really works. Like I, so I conquered one of my greatest fears two weeks ago. I changed the toilet. Now, changing the toilet wasn't my greatest fear. I changed the, I changed the toilet. Toilet, no big deal. The thing that scares me is that angle stop that comes out of the wall. That's like dealing with electricity for me. And so I, I changed the toilet. I just used the same cabling, but all of the handyman guys are like, you got to change the angle stop every time. You got to do it. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to pay to have a handyman do it. I'm just going to have somebody come out and do it. And I'm like, and I'm kind of like going back and forth. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go get the parts at Home Depot. And I'm like, I'm going to just get the parts and then I'll watch a bunch of YouTube videos and then maybe like I'll see if I can like get it. And so I got the tools, I got the parts, and then I started to try to remove the little valve. But then I'm having like waves of, of panic that I'm going to end up doing it wrong. I'm going to break the, the, the pipe. The whole house is going to be flooded. We got to go back to square one. So I stopped what I was doing. I put everything back together. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I came out. I'm like, and I'm done. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then, like, let me go back and watch some more YouTube videos. And I'm going to watch some more YouTube videos. I kind of got my, my confidence back up. And I looked at the old ones. So I really figured out which way. Because when they're on the thing, like lefty, loosey, righty, tidy, it's not as simple as you think because it's like backwards. And so righty can actually be lefty if you're like the right angle. So then I like look at Anna. I'm like, I got to do this. I got to get over this fear. I got to, I got to do it. And she looked at me and she's like, I believe in you. You can do it. 
And as simple as it was, it was like, I could do it. You know, the Rocky music started in my head. I go down there and it was like a 30 second sort of thing. Super simple. But we have the creator of the universe. If God, wait, wait, let me get verse 31. If God is for us, then who is against us? And the implication is that God is for us. That God says, I'm with you. Now, it's not an angle stop. That's really insignificant. But we have Jesus, who we're told is our advocate, who's the attorney, that in heaven as Satan is making this, these claims against us. Jesus is standing before the Father saying, I'm for Gunner. I paid for his sins. He's washed clean in my blood. I'm for him. It's beautiful. And I would encourage you to insert your, your name in there. If God is for Gunner, then who can be against me? For if I'm to be defeated, that means that God has been defeated. And that can't be. And so when I look at the world and I look at uh, traveling or living our lives, the news of the terrorists in San, uh, not San Marcos, but San Bernardino. Like we don't have to look at world events and be terrorized. The scripture says that God gave us life, that God sustains us, that when our time is up on this earth, it's his doing. And so if you're in a plane that blows up, sorry, this is probably like the wrong thing to be like illustrated. It's the girl who's about to fly. If it's not your time, you're going to survive. Like I've heard of skydivers, like there's a girl who skydived as she was pregnant. Her parachute didn't open. You die in that situation, yet she and her baby survived. How did that happen? Oh, God. Her time wasn't up. If, God, if your time is up, God will take you. We don't have to live in fear. And God's saying, I'm for you. There's a passage, you don't have to, I'll read it to you. This the Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 I think are the the picture of this uh, God is with us and God is for us. I I think we see both of these truths sort of embedded in this passage of Scripture. In Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, the, the author writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so here's this picture of this. We're told that our God, our high priest, that, that he's, he's come and he's lived with us as a human. He's experienced all of the temptations, all of the struggles, all of the trials that we've gone through yet without sin. And so when we go to him, he understands because he's been with us. And we're told that because, we've, because he's experienced life with us, we can go to him confidently. We have access to him. He's for us. And you know, the whole angle stop thing. So I had all the confidence. I get the angle stop off. And according to YouTube, there was one more step that was supposed to be really simple. And that little simple step just wasn't working. And so Anne is saying, you can do it in the background. But she's in the other side of the room. So now I'm having panic when I'm failing my bride because I can't change a $3 angle stop. 
It's like, it's to, like, what am I supposed to do? The whole thing's ruined. The, 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 our, our house, the water's not coming on until a handyman comes out here. So then I call my phone a friend, Rick Restivo, who's my, he's my like handyman guy. <laughs> Rick, I got a really bad problem here. And I'm sure you have a simple solution. Turns out the simple solution, he just kind of coached me through. He said, just do this. Sure enough, really easy. I'm not going to tell you what the problem was just because I don't want to sell them out just in case it wasn't right. You know, like I know there, I know there are probably plumbers that would say, that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, I know there's a plumber right there looking at me. So I'm like, where was I? And so when I called Rick, I said, Rick, I'm panicking. I'm in this situation. He's like, that's happened to me a million times. It's okay. Just do this. And we're told in the same way that we can go to Christ, that he's our high priest, that He's passed through the heavens and let us hold fast. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We, we have a high priest who became like us. He understands. And we can go to him knowing that he understands that he's for us. It's powerful. Now back to Romans. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32 he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also freely give us all things? It's this beautiful picture. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then we have this image of the son. Now, this sounds more like Easter and, and Good Friday. But the reality is, is God in the crib, God taking on flesh in the crib is it is all leading. It's, it's one big story. And the humility and the suffering, we think of this cute baby. But, but this is God who spoke all things into existence and now is in this crib crying for sustenance, crying for somebody to change his diaper, not able to communicate, stumbling through life, having to learn like we all do. All because he chose to give himself for us that we would have life. And here Paul writes in Romans, if God is for us, who, can, who, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over to us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now this isn't a prosperity gospel, but the picture is if God gave you his son, if he gave his life so that you might have life, and you're going through life and you're struggling and you reach out to him and you're asking. We don't come before God like a beggar. Like, I don't know the Christmas story, you know, like the whole, what is it? The, the Scrooge and the whole idea of begging that, that, that if God has given us his son, he's not going to nickel and dime us for, for care that he's, he's given us his son. What more could we ask? And when we go to him, he desires to care for us. And then finally, if you'll turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> so as we consider the birth of Christ, his incarnation, we see that in Christ that God has spoken to us. The, the, the whole, this whole picture of, of Jesus entering into human form living his life of 33 years, that as he's with us, he's demonstrating, modeling, uh, living um, how we're to go through life, conquering sin and death through the cross, 
so that we might have life in him. And the final thing is that then God desires to work through us. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. That this is the, that this is the craziest thing in, in God's master plan. That as he speaks to us, as Christ has come to be with us in the crib, as he stands for us, God has also called us into this ministry of reconciliation. If you go back to verse 14 up in 2 Corinthians, we're told, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so we have this picture of the incarnate Christ, this this. This, this baby Jesus, who is God, who took on the form of man. And the picture of this is, this is, uh, I've used the word incarnation. Uh, like this idea of incarnational God, that God has become with us. Through Christ, he's bridged the gap so that we can have relationship with God because he's made payment for our sin. This is the whole purpose of Christ's coming. But then we're told in this passage that as we've been reconciled to God, he's entrusted us with this, this ministry of reconciliation. As we've been reconciled to God, we're to step into the lives of other people, that we're to be connected deeply with those who don't know Christ. Christ stepped out of heaven to live amongst us. I, I've been watching the show, like I, I don't want to go into detail, but it's dealing with like the World War II um, army guys, the, the, the 105th Airborne and, and the battles that they fought uh, during World War II. And my favorite part of this show is at the beginning, at the end of it, they've, they've actually interviewed the old guys. I'm sure most of them have passed by this point. But they, they interview sort of like the story that they tell in the show. It's about these same guys throughout the whole series. But these old men stand there and they share sort of their thoughts about what they went through. And on the last one that I saw, I had tears in my eyes. Like it's at the very end, and this old man starts talking about all the battles that they went through and the men that he lost and the guys that went through. And he quoted a, a saying, I, I forget who said it. It's some poet or something that said it. But it was a saying that all through the SEAL teams, it was like one of our mantras. And the essence of the quote is, he who sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And this guy's like Tyrion said, we became brothers. And I start like hearing him say this, and I think of Christ. What did Christ do for us? He shed his blood for us so that he could become like our Lord, but our brother, like he shed his blood. He went through this life 
so that he would experience what we go through. And he says, come to me, be gathered to me. I've paid the debt so that you can be reconciled to God. And as we receive the gift, we're then commissioned to be incarnational, not to isolate ourselves from the world, but to walk closely with him, to go through and and to to be intentional about establishing relationships and and nurturing um, those that don't know Christ. It's a crazy thing to think that God would save six sheep and then send six sheep out to rescue other six sheep. And so when I look at the picture of Christ, I mean, it's a cheesy little like cartoon up there that I keep looking at. But when I see the baby Jesus, as we come to Christmas and we celebrate his coming, we see that God has spoken to us. We say that he lived with us. He stands for us. And now he's working through us if we've received Christ. And like him, humbling himself, coming as a man, he sent us out to be a light to the lost world. And so I pray that as we go about this week, as we enjoy Christmas with our family, that we would use this time, use this this season in our culture, instead of going against, you know, the paganism of Christmas, which like... You're not going to find Christmas trees and like Christmas in the Bible. So we can stand against culture or we can say, you know what? Like, like let's take advantage of this opportunity and redeem Christmas um, through telling the story of the birth of Christ as the Bible tells it. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you. Lord, that you've spoken to us in your word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. We thank you for the illumination that you've given us through the Spirit. Father, we thank you that you sent Christ um, to dwell with us. That God became man. And Lord, this is something that it's, it's hard for us to understand. And I don't even think that we truly, fully can understand how this happened. But we thank you that you came to dwell with us, that you stand for us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to walk closely with you. Lord, I pray that um, you would help us to, to place our fears at your feet, our worries, our anxieties, um, the many things that come at us in this life. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to know that you stand for us. And Lord, you didn't just save us to put us on the shelf, but that you saved us, you indwelt us, Lord. Your word tells us that you're working through us, and that's that's another hard thing to understand. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to follow after the example of Christ, his incarnation, that he came to dwell amongst us, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, hearts that are in line with your hearts, that as we look upon those around us that don't know you, I pray, Father, that you would help us to see them as you see them, not through the flesh, but through the spirit, that there are people all around us that you died for. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, Uh, to live our lives, Lord, to be used by you. 
uh, that the gospel would be shined through us. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.